Hello, and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast, the one and only mindset podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs and coaches master their mindset, giving you insider access to industry leaders around their psychology, their campfire stories, and the mindset required to be successful in this business. I'm your host, Kieran O'Neill, mental performance coach and founder of Total Mental Performance, the world's fastest growing specialist mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. So without further ado, let's lean in and listen. Yes, yes, team. Welcome to another episode of the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Today, we have MJ Lennon. I got introduced to and known as Lenny through our friend Ben Heron. And Ben, as you probably all know, he's been on the podcast. Lovely, lovely guy. When he says, Kieran, you need to meet this guy, ask him about his story. I always jump on. Um, So Lenny, he's the founder of the ECA Academy a specialist trainings academy for personal trainers. He's a serial fitness entrepreneur, whether that's with gyms, events, training, education, consultancy. And uh, also, as I've just found out, this is our first ever conversation. He's also got a boxing background, which I always connect with, uh, with, with boxers with uh, our joint backgrounds. So, anyway, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Karen, thank you for having me here, man. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. And yes, you're right, Ben is an absolute legend. Absolute great guy. I know Ben a long time. Yeah, we, we go back a long time. We kind of started out in the fitness industry around about the same time. And he's always done amazing things. And likewise, when he, when he said to me, you, I, I've got to introduce you because I actually met Ben. I know you guys live with each other in Dubai when I was out there. He's like, oh, you got to meet my friend, Kieran." So yeah this has been a long time coming and i'm excited to be here i'm excited to share with your community and they're very much lucky to have you dude 100 percent, much appreciated and yes ben has a absolute when you meet an operator with an absolute heart of gold it's just it's just amazing to to see but mate if you give uh some of our some of your story how how did you actually get into the fitness industry where did it all start so you mentioned our boxing background which which is cool i always love talking to fighters i think they're the nicest people in the world uh guys in any combat sport i just genuinely do think they're the, the nicest people in the world and i think a part of that is because they've got nothing to prove so i yeah i come from a boxing background and when i was around about 18 19 20 i stopped fighting as frequently as you do there was other things going on. I wanted to. I wanted to earn money. I knew I was never going to turn professional because it just wasn't good enough. Truth be told, and I did, I wanted to keep my faculties. I was like, there, there's easier ways to earn money. So I started thinking about that, and I actually started working for my father whenever I left school. So my father owned a pub in Belfast City Centre, and I went straight into working there. Now you can imagine a pub in Belfast City Centre. It's a crash course in human nature, right? It is an absolute <laughs> crash course. So, yeah, I started working there and I knew I wasn't going to do it the rest of my life. It was just a kind of stepping stone. It was like, right, how do I figure out what I'm doing with my life? Because I had no idea. By the way, I left school with nothing, nothing, like zero qualifications. I hear people say this and then they throw out one or two. I left with nothing. I couldn't wait to get out of the place. I absolutely hated school. Like you wouldn't believe the, the thoughts of just sitting at a desk all day and taking orders uh, just drove me crazy. So I left and then I went to work for my father and then I was still boxing at the time, but my boxing career I knew was going to slowly come to an end. So I was like, how do I stay in the game? So I started, I started trying to figure out ways of 
Well, well, number one, I was always making weight. And you know what you know what that's like yourself, Kieran. We had a conversation just off camera. It is the worst part of being a fighter. And I was always like, I always felt like physically drained and really thin. And I just, I just never really felt strong. So I started to figure out, well, what are the ways that I could still move well, but also try to get stronger? And all of the... For some reason, I didn't really take up bodybuilding much. I know a lot of the time, whenever guys become teenagers, they generally think, oh, okay, bodybuilding is the way to go if I want to put on size. I actually started training with kettlebells first. So there was, there's a guy in, in Belfast, uh, his name's Paul McElroy, and I actually knew him from my boxing background. Me and Paul, uh, we actually fought as amateur boxers and he was a great athlete as well and a great coach. So he had started coaching people and he started to use kettlebells and kettlebells were largely unheard of. But I'm, giving, I'm giving away my age here, but they were largely unheard of. They were in very few gyms. So I started that. I was like, oh, this here is interesting. I want to learn a little bit more about this. So at the time, Paul was studying under a man named Pavel Satsulin and Pavel was basically responsible if anyone is familiar with Pavel he's basically responsible for bringing kettlebells into western society uh, so he, he he was the man who first popularized it in America and you generally find that whenever things become popularized in America they start to make their way hmm. east again and then they end up in uh, sort of western Europe and, and things like this so that's generally what happened so I started training more and more with kettlebells and I was like oh I like this I think I could become better at this so then I went and took Pavel's certification which is the strong first certification and then I started coaching people in boxing and using kettlebells and that generally were my career kind of that, that's generally what brought me into the fitness industry and I still I actually still had quite a few fights right up until I was like 24 and then I got married and my wife was like, dude, you're getting too much for this here. Carry on like no more. I was doing it for fun. Yeah, I wasn't bringing no money in for it. And I was like, right, okay, you're right. You know, fitness is bringing money in at this stage. So now I'm going to have to focus more of my energy and attention on that. I hear you. I totally hear you. It's funny because whenever I talk to boxers, like, like you said, it's like they've got nothing to prove anymore. The ones that aren't fighting anyway, most ones that are fighting feel like they have something to prove, which is why they're getting in the scrap and why they're putting it on, putting on a show. Um, but when you think about just boxing and all of the, everything that translates over to coaching, because you probably had some incredible boxing coaches, it's more the emotional side that I find with boxing. Of course, you've got to be physically fit. Of course, you've got to know technically how to move your feet, how to move your head, how to throw a punch, how to get out of the way. Strategy, you've got to know, okay, well, if he's, in theory, if he's taller and more rangy, you've got to get on the inside. But then going up a level, it's like, well, do you have to get on the inside? And can you bring them onto the front foot and then draw them on? You've got all these different attributes, but a lot of it is just dealing with emotion. It's dealing with mindset. It's dealing with a setback, getting your ass kicked in front of, of quite a few friends and having to dust yourself down and go, all right, I'll I'll try again. How do you find that has set you up for the career that you've built? So, uh, amazing question, by the way, mate. I absolutely, I loved fighting. I even loved losing. Didn't, like, it didn't get to me at all. And I just think that as a coach, you have to be a leader, whether you like it or not. And I think a big part of leadership is doing hard shit right it's having difficult conversations it is uh it's 
being congruent, right? It's just, it, it's all of those things. And I just generally think that whatever you have that sort of background and you're fighting, like, I don't think there's anything more difficult than fighting in front of, I actually boxed in front of 3000 people in the Odyssey. Like there's nothing that I could do would be more difficult than that. So for me, having had that background, it becomes so much easier to deal with pretty much any situation. And I was, a, I was generally a very emotional fighter as well. So, and again, given my sort of background and the first job that I'd done, I said, it was a crash course in human nature and learning how to de-escalate situations. I think those two things combined really helped me personally, as in being willing to do hard shit, but at the same time, understanding people and understanding the absolute worst of human nature and trying to bring trying to bring the best out in people, and I think that's generally what we do as a coach. So, yeah, just having that, it, it, it honestly, the perspective it gives you is just like next level. At least it is for me, anyway. And then having had those experiences with different coaches and understanding how they manage emotions and and their different styles of coaching, you know, I, I just feel very privileged to be able to bring that into my own practice today. Absolutely, and it's always like the old boys in the gym. I used to have this coach called Harry Goodwin. Guy was in his 80s. He'd actually been in the corner of my dad. And uh, I was the last boxer that he ever cornered. He'd been to the Olympics. He'd been to all around the world and whatever. No one had any idea who this guy was. Like, no, It was like wow. he was just this forgotten relic. Um, when He could only make it into the gym maybe like once, maybe like once a week maximum. But he always, he always, he always had a, a soft spot for me and he'd always give me time. I'd always ask him and he... And he even his hands were shaking from years, like decades of pads. And even wow. just listening to him and just his view on life and world. And, and he couldn't really speak that well either. But the lessons that that gets passed down, because if you think about fighting is one of the oldest sports in, or if not the oldest sport in, in history, two men doing battle. It's incredible. So with him, I remember him. He just said, if you're going to do anything, be real. I, I don't think there's anything more difficult than that. I've actually, I'm just off a competition this weekend as well. How does your neck feel today? I always find, I don't know about, I know you were doing jiu-jitsu, so I've never done jiu-jitsu, but I know after whenever I used to do tournaments or fights, my neck would be the thing. I was always really tight. You never really use your neck, do you? Yeah, yeah, my, my neck is absolutely in bits. There's actually a term called jiu-jitsu neck, and I have no doubt developed that, but even like for me, I always say, especially now today, and again, I'm kind of aware of, of biases, but obviously, you know, I had a, a boxing background as well. And for me, especially the older I get, I, I look for ways to de-escalate situations, de-escalate people and just try to calm situations down, right? So I think for me, I always recommend to people, and we're talking about doing hard shit. Right? And, and I know your podcast is set up for, for, for trainers and how they, how they manage their own mindset, how they manage their own state. Right? So for me, I generally think that things like boxing, jiu-jitsu, combat sports, as you say, they, they come as natural to us as eating and sleeping. Right? Since the dawn of time, we've been doing that. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's not an easy task to do. But I generally think that the confidence that gives an individual just goes way beyond anything else you could do you know i see a lot of people today and they're doing things like cold water exposure which is great 
it's awesome and they're saying this is difficult and it is to a certain extent but after a while it kind of feels nice <laughs> right it feels nice but there's never a time when you're grappling or when you're standing in a ring striking each other that ever feels nice even if you're winning so for me that's way more difficult than anything anyone could ever do and i think as a leader doing being willing to do difficult things like that but also for myself and i suppose just general life be, having the ability to de-escalate because striking someone is escalating a situation if you're involved in some sort of situation and you strike someone well then that's gonna that's gonna heighten the tension whereas in jiu-jitsu you can generally like pin someone down hold them in a position and say listen Let's calm this down for, for a second. And that's generally what I, I love about the sport. The fact is that I get so much from it in terms of confidence and it, it's a really difficult sport. But at the same time, you can also you can also de-escalate a situation and calm things down by using jiu-jitsu. So I actually recommend that everyone does jiu-jitsu. And, I, and again, I'm aware that I'm biased about it right now because I'm competing in it and I'm so invested in it. But I generally think like, if everyone had some sort of background in that, well, then they would be they would be more confident within themselves, within their character, within the fact that they're they're willing to step onto the mats because it's difficult, right? I just think there's so many benefits to it, and you're not getting uh, strikes to the head as well, which is enough, which is a, a bonus too. Well, there's just so much more longevity in the game when you're not taking uh, shots to the head, and you probably oh, have so friends, and I have friends where they're slurring their words and then they're. You know, get even, yeah, even I, I find after hard sparring, I'm more forgetful or harder for me to concentrate. You can't argue that, you know, there is a, there is a cognitive performance impact from, from those sports. But as long as you do it in a controlled environment, good people around you that are overseeing things, you're not going into like, I mean, I don't know about you, I've walked in some gyms where oh, there's this, um, I'm not going to say the name of the gym, but, it, you know, it, air quotes, Cuban style like boxing academy in, in London. And uh, I went in there and, and after session one, I was, at the time I was probably about 60 kilos and I was sparring with somebody that was 79. They're like, yeah, 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 we'll just take it easy. And uh, I was having to really like maneuver my way around the ring. And I was like, thinking, what am I doing? Like, how have I ended up in this position? And the guy didn't even hit me that hard, but he cracked one of my ribs. And you've got to, so you've got to be careful where you go. But if you find the right coaches, it would just completely change your life and, and set you up for uh, just, just like you said, business almost feels easy because this is something that a lot of coaches don't realize is in my opinion there's two halves to coaching there's coaching and then there's the business of coaching and i think the psychology behind the business of coaching is where coaches often get stuck the most when they're trying to set up their own pt brand if they're trying to set up their own online coaching brand you've set up two gym facilities you know that is that is hard and i always think fighting and business are two of the best personal development tools that you could ever do because they're so tricky they're so emotionally tricky it's like the, a mental game which comes in behind them right you, you just absolutely light bulb moment i had there dude because i couldn't agree more and i think there's a lot of things that cross over as well like there's so many things that you could take from your boxing background that i could take that i take from jujitsu every single day i go and i can apply to my business like wow uh, this is like even, you know, you talk about great coaches, my jiu-jitsu coach now, it just seems like whenever I speak to him, he just so, he has so much knowledge of not only things that happen on the mats, but also off the mats. For example, I asked him a question 
a few months ago was did he feel under pressure not to get tapped by any of the any of the lower belts and he just turned around to me and he said eh, pressure self-inflicted and that was it i was like ah it just takes so much humility just so much humility and knowledge of the world and experience to be able to answer someone in that way he didn't try to explain it he didn't try to do anything he just said all pressure self-inflicted that's it it's just that wisdom isn't it and it's that wisdom that hits you to the core and you're like yeah so simple i always say pressure is perception but then i also say everything is perception because if we think about reality reality has to come through the mind if we think about everything that's happening in the outside world, is it really happening in the outside world or is it just happening in our mind? Because it's our mind that has to process the outside world. So once that's all in here, it's like, well, if everything is perception, then it makes sense for me to work on my perception, to understand my perception and take that step back. But when strong emotions come and hit you, it's like that perception is just completely jarred. Strong emotions make us stupid. They cut down our timeframes, they cut down our options. And all of a sudden we're just dealt with what we believe is reality versus it isn't reality. And sometimes just having a coach, like an old wise guy, and they don't even have to be old. Sometimes I have, I've had coaches younger than me that are much more wise and much more experienced. And, and being able to have the ego to put that aside and go, yeah, well, this person clearly has wisdom and, and listening to that. And they'll just say something like, uh, pressure is self-inflicted. Bang, it hits you between the eyes. You know, like, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I, I'm so glad you brought that line up. I actually read a line a couple of weeks ago was that proper perspective is the key to persistence, right? And I was like, and it really struck me at the time because I was like, well, when people are inconsistent and they lack persistence, it's because they've made an emotional decision based on a lack of perspective of the what's going on. And I was like, ah, yes. That is exactly it, though. That's exactly it, man. Exactly. And obviously, every I feel like it's Coach 101 book to read, which is Atomic Habits by James Clear. But one thing that surprised me about that book, a lot of it, I, and I, I never want to be that guy who's like, I kind of already knew this. But sometimes when you get a lot of that information, because I'm a tra trained therapist, cognitive hypnotherapist, NLP practitioner, peak performance coach. So a lot of it I knew, but I hadn't put it in you know, when you got, you know, a lot of the information, but you don't make that link. And the connection that he made was yeah. uh, identity based habits. And I knew that on an identity level, if you don't feel good enough, you're going to behave in a way which perpetuates that. But when he put it down, like you said, that consistency, that persistence, understanding that on a deeper emotional, psychological, and identity level, that for me was just so fascinating to bring all of those worlds together and go, well, if you want to get more shit done, Emotionally, you make a decision on who you are as an individual, and then also whether you want to do that or not. But the problem is, emotions are so blurry, and particularly men as well aren't trained to communicate with their emotions. They're not trained to manage their emotions, and they're not trained to work with limiting beliefs and, and those different things. So it's quite hard for people to get access to those resources, and I think that's part of what we're doing here at, at TMP is, is making the perception of reality cool. We're making therapy interesting from a performance outcome. And that's really what's, what's so fun to have these conversations because everybody's got their own perception on the way that the world works, the way that the fitness industry works, the coaching works. And it's just a massive dance, which makes it also fun. There are, there are no unique messages, only unique messengers. Yeah, agreed.
Uh, All this wisdom is already there. Well, mate, I'd love you to run us through the next part of, of your journey. I think most fitness coaches, and I'm not a fitness coach, I'm a mental performance coach, but even I have thought about having my own gym, about having my own facility. There, there is this thing where everybody thinks, yeah, well, if I had my gym, I'd, I'd have it like this, and we'd be doing this, and this would be here, and, and whatever. So I feel like it's a very idyllic pursuit. One of my best friends also launched a gym called 1RM in, in my hometown. And I saw firsthand how bloody difficult, scary, stressful, how many different angles that, that comes through, whether that's legal, that's one big, big thing. Insurance, getting trained coaches, getting people to just sit on the front desk, getting the processes, running a shop, selling memberships, making sure payments are coming in, on the gym floor drama. Like there's just, there was just so many things. <laughs> Everyone in their head thinks, well, if I did it, it'd be easy and I'd do it this way. So I'd love to get your, um, just a small part of your story as to how you built that up and then also the mindset required to, to do that. Yeah, of course, man. So I, whenever I first started coaching, I was actually doing it from my old boxing gym. And very quickly, we, we outgrew it to the point where my coach was like, listen, we need this space to coach the fighters. <laughs> Your shit comes secondary. So I was like, okay, I've got to figure something out here. So at the time, I didn't have the resources to go and open my own facility. This was 11 years ago. And the, the industry's changed a lot in 11 years to the point where I would say now today, it's relatively easy to go and open a facility. This was before anyone came in and done fit outs. There was nothing really like, unless it was a big commercial gym, big commercial gyms would have got fit outs done, but smaller micro gyms hadn't really got access to the type of, the type of fit outs that we see today in, in most gyms. So we didn't have the resources, so we just had to get resourceful. So what I actually done was I went to my father who owned a pub in Belfast City Centre and, and I said to him, look, can I rent out the top floor from you? And he said, okay. And he charged me 250 quid a month to rent out the top floor because it was so small. I just, he, he kind of just thought, well, you're just training a few people up there, whatever it is, away you go. And as I say, we didn't have the resources. So what I had to do was get a few of my friends in who were joiners and, and they built us a makeshift pull-up bar, a makeshift squat rack, dips bars. It's just basically a makeshift setup, but it was cool. And me and my business partner, PJ, we... We jumped in on the work, like there was a, a stud wall down the center of the room. So we went in and knocked it down ourselves, created the space, put down the floor, which was carpet. Like we were winging it, completely winging it at the time. We had no clue at all what we were doing. We just knew that we, out, we had outgrown the boxing gym. So now we had to figure something out. And fitness was what I wanted to do. And I always wanted to own my own facility as well. So for me, this was an absolute no-brainer. I didn't think of the implications from a business perspective or anything like that. I was just, I want somewhere to train people and to help people. And that's the only thought process was going through my mind. So we got it done. I have no idea how we got it done. But our clients had to walk up, walk through a public bar, first of all, up three flights of stairs, through a restaurant, past the kitchen only to get into the facility then. 
And then we were doing like a small group training and we were doing boxer size classes. And while we didn't know what we were doing from a business perspective, even from a coaching perspective, like I dread to think what we were doing back in the day because I was just using like old school boxing techniques to train people and to try to get people in shape. But what we did have was a great culture in the place and that got us by. Like people still talk about it today, 11 years ago, people still come up to me and they're like, yeah, do you remember the old gym? Like that was amazing. And and, and like, yeah, it was cool. It was cool for you, but it wasn't so much for us because we had so many headaches to deal with there. But that was the start of the process. And we stayed there for a couple of years. We didn't get planning permission for it. We just opened the facility and decided, well, let's just do this. We'll, we'll just figure it out as we go along. If something goes wrong, we'll just course correct. And yeah, we'll see what happens. If something comes up, then we'll fix it. So we didn't get planning permission for it. And then eventually the council came in and said, hey, this isn't the gym. So you're going to have to apply for planning permission. Now, we we delayed it for about a, for about a year and then eventually we got it. But by this stage, we kind of, we were like, right, we're a few years deep now. There's no way we're going to stay in this facility. We've outgrown it. There's just too many things that are limiting our capabilities. So we decided to open up a second facility then, which was not too far from our current location. And it was, there was a lot of mistakes made there as well. We didn't do our due diligence on the, on the location. Eventually it would, we would be told to leave after a couple of years and it was getting knocked down as well. So we had invested like, I think we borrowed like 14 grand to go and invest in the facility to get it into some sort of order and then yeah a couple of years in okay this is getting knocked this building's getting knocked down the landlord had gone bust he sold the building it's actually demolished now so yeah there was a lot of lessons learned there as well and we had the we actually outstayed our welcome there also so we were the i remember the estate agents walked in and they just handed us a letter and we're like here's your eviction notice and i was like what what's going on like we're only in and they were like oh no here you have to get out this building's going to be demolished so we outstayed our welcome like we were literally clinging on until we eventually found our third facility and the facility that we're in currently which is a five thousand square foot again not too far from our other locations and it was a facility that I knew 15 years ago I was going to turn into a gym someday so I actually had a visual that I was going to turn this place into a gym and I had considered it before I moved into our second location but just got a little bit scared because of the size of it and everything like that but everything just fell into place you know everything happens for a reason Hmm. and for some reason we were supposed to learn the lessons from the second location and then we got into the third and now not only do we run the gym from it, but we've also got the academy. And as you said earlier on, I, I also do some consultancy and now I'm in the events space as well. So that's all of this. Like I have no idea how I got to this stage. It was just a constant refinement, constant course correction, constant fi- fixing mistakes that were made, constant learning, constant investing in ourselves hiring coaches hiring mentors just work that was it i can sense you just listened and as a, as a fighter you have to learn to listen don't get me wrong there are some fighters that have such innate talent they won't listen they'll get to a certain level and then they, and then and then we get a breaking point and then they'll either leave the sport or they they listen eventually you listened to every single point 
okay, well, what, what can we do here? Oh, we're outgrowing this. So what about this? Without growing that, what about this? Oh, we didn't do this. Okay, let me listen to that. And I can sense there's just a great listener that has picked up on these, listened to the needs and of, of clients, of your facility, of your, I do believe businesses are like organisms and you've, you've cultivated this organism that's, that's got you there. And uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I think for me, for me personally, I like to say to people that being coachable is my superpower. And for me, at, at least, I think one of the most important skill sets that any coach could have is to be coachable themselves. If you're going to be a leader, well, then you have to be someone who can follow to begin with. I think that's one of the most important. I, no, I think that's the most important skill set for any coach is being coachable and, and being open to feedback and applying the lessons that you learned. Like if you don't do that and you continue to make them the mistakes that you've made before, I think it's unforgivable. Well, the best leaders, and I've been really lucky to coach a series of different leaders across the fitness industry, but also in even in the business world, whether that's CEOs or you know companies of over 5,000 people. Being in Dubai, you pick up some really interesting private clients sometimes. One guy was worth $10 billion. Another one had scaled his team from 180 people to 1,800 people within 14 months. Wow. But all of these leaders are still students. All of these leaders still decided to come and work with me and, and go, well, I've not looked too much into the men's performance game. I haven't really looked too much into my mindset or I have, but I know there's more for me to learn. So I believe that point about being coachable is so important. I still have two mindset coaches that keep an eye on me. I still have mentors. I still have you know, my own coach, fitness coach. I still have all of these things because the top leaders are always students. And in my opinion, we're all standing on the shoulder of giants. And you get to pick those giants who you want to go and stand on their shoulders. And if you can do that, you're just consistently iterating and learning and growing and moving forward. Um, so I totally agree with you. So a lot of people will see you and go, well, you know, he's just sort of figured out as he's gone. But they'll probably assume that you're okay and you've just been confident and it's been easy. But if you wouldn't mind sharing, what would you say some of the more emotional challenges, whether that's self-doubt, whether that's stress, whether that's... Uh, anxiety or comparison there's a lot of us put on this sort of front and we all think oh we don't suffer from all of those things on the previous podcast i've talked about my experiences of not feeling enough as a fighter or then going into business and not feeling enough there and trying to prove myself through money and realizing that wasn't the answer i've, I've got a lot into that so i'd love to law, learn more about you and, and how that works yeah absolutely so for me personally i think the biggest emotional driver several of them i mean I, I i don't think anyone can honestly say that they can run a business and not feel some sort of anxiousness about waking up the next day like i have had days where i haven't wanted to get up out of bed at all like just no i'm not doing this today i'm staying in bed it's just not an option so there's been days like that and i think the biggest emotional driver has probably been fear for me personally now again this is a weird one and i know and i know people would say the fear can be a negative emotion and it can be ego driven in a way but again for me having come from a fighter's background you're kind of living in fear all of the time so it wasn't necessarily 
I didn't see it as a bad thing. It was an emotional driver. And I think it still is today. Fear of failure, fear of not winning. But at the same time, I don't think it's something that I would allow to uh, limit me. And, and I think if you can control it and understand that uh, everyone feels it and it's, it's a completely normal part of life, well, then it just gives you that little bit of comfort. And yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest emotional drivers. And so for me, uh, and I, again, I, I love sharing this story with people. I think, and I always say to people, everything happens for a reason. One of the biggest reasons for my fear of failure, and this is this is like something else. Whenever I went to work in my father's pub, <clears throat> so I, I quickly, whenever I left school, I quickly developed into a leadership position within within the place. Like I. I, I don't take orders well. I do take orders well, but in, in that perspective, I feel like if I, if I can step up to a certain position, then I generally I, I generally will, will take the lead on it, I should say. So I, I'd done that very quickly. And at a young age, I was, I was given a leadership position. Now, I actually, lo- we, we lost a team member. You get into uh, a fight. Outside the outside the pub one night, he was he was actually out, he was, and he was working in my place. So I asked him to work for me that evening, and then he went out for a few drinks after work, and he was on his way home. And there was a taxi depot next door to the pub, and he got into a bit of an argument, fell and hit his head, uh, and he lost his life. Now he was in his forties, and I that was the catalyst for me then getting out of that industry and moving into fitness. So for me, that being the catalyst and that being such a traumatic moment probably drove my fear of failure because I had seen one side of humanity, which was complete darkness. I've seen the dark side of human nature and I was like, this can't be the way. This can't be the way for me to have an impact on the world in this industry, in this nature, and this can't be the environment for me. So my fear of failure was driven from that. And then I took that and I applied that to my fitness business. And for me, I, gen- I genuinely feel like the fitness industry is the most rewarding industry in the world. I suppose any personal development industry can be because you get to see the good side of human nature. So for me, that was like, that was always the main thing. And that was the main driver. So even though, I did have a fear of failure. I also had a good perception of what I was doing. And even if I did fail, at least I was failing at something that was impactful to people and was changing people's lives. And then that made it okay. And you want to know uh, something else that's absolutely amazing about this story? So the guy who we lost, his name is Joe O'Neill. I, I think he was in, a, he was about 40 about 47 at the time, if my memory serves me correctly. And I went to his funeral, obviously, and he had two young children. He, he had more children back in Scotland, but he had two young children living in Belfast. And I went to his funeral, and obviously it was a sad time. And for me, I had a lot of, I had a lot of, uh, I mean, I was battling with it emotionally. Like it was a real emotional experience for me because obviously he was, covering my shift and I felt a lot of responsibility towards my team and as and I took a lot of responsibility on as a leader and I seen his two young children at his funeral and I was like okay 
this is this is where it changes for me. This is it. I'm I'm done. Um, I can't see another family impacted like that. I can't be in this type of environment, in this type of mental state. And that that then drove me to make the decision. Now, fast forward nine years, I am coaching a group of students in my facility. And whenever our students come in, the very first thing that I get them to do is I get them to do hard shit. I get them to do a bit of, a, a bit of public speaking. Because I genuinely think that public speaking for a lot of people can be quite difficult. So that's the first thing that I do. I just throw them in at the deep end. And we're we're in the process of that. And there's a group of about 20 odd students there. And this young lad gets up and he starts to tell his story. And he tells a story about how he lost his father not too far from where we were sitting currently. And then he says his father's name. And lo and behold nine years since I seen this young lad, maybe a wee bit more. It was the same young lad whose father we buried that day and I seen him at his funeral and who who I made the decision. It was because of these kids that I made the decision to go and do what I was wanted to do. And now all of these years later, he ends up in my facility, setting out on the same journey that I set out on because of him. And he's still in the fitness industry today and he's still Im- impacting lives which is absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. And as I say, everything happens for a reason. It's giving me goosebumps. It really does. And you kind of have to surrender to the universe and go, well, it is what it is. Good old boxing phrase. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. How times you get that? One tournament I turned up to, um, everybody at my weight dropped out apart from one guy. It was a guy called Ronald Sirigo, who was a world number four, and he'd had like 194 or 204 fights, won quite a lot, went to the Beijing Olympics. And I, I decided not to drop out. I'd have about 30 fights, and I'm on Swedish national television in the final. He's Ugandan, but on the Swedish national team. And I just remember looking at my coach, and he just went, it is what it is. And that phrase always comes back. <laughs> it is what it is. That's such a beautiful beautiful circle of life so to speak and i think when you just surrender to all of it like everything does happen for a reason and you just got to trust in yourself you got to trust in the process and it'll all come good yeah it'll come good yeah and that still drives me today dude the the fact that that uh yeah it just made so much sense life just made so much sense at that time the fact that that came around again it just struck you to the core. You just knew where I need yeah. to be. That's incredible. I'm exactly where I where I, where I should be, and I think that's true for everyone. For all of your listeners, for anyone, you're exactly where you need to be right now. And the lessons that you're being given on a daily basis, they're they're for a reason. Hundred percent. I can see why uh, Ben said we had to speak to each other. I've loved this conversation, mate. Thank you so much for for coming on. It's, it's been an honor. Yeah, likewise, man. Likewise. I've got one. Final question. So forget about total mental performance or TMP as an organization, as an entity or, or what we deliver, but think about the phrase total mental performance. If you had total mental performance, how would you know? How would I know? Can I curse on this podcast? Work away. Because I wouldn't give a fuck about outside circumstances. And I think that's generally how... I operate, I feel like most of the time, I think I would be telling lies if there were, there were moments where I said that, you know, maybe I didn't care what someone thinks or, or I didn't care about the, the outside world. But, you know, there are, there are times when that might be the case. 
But I think the vast majority of the time, I don't give a fuck what people's what people say. Like I really don't care what people say or think about me. If uh, unless I'm asking the individual for for feedback, unless it's someone that matters to me, then I care. I'm like, okay, well, I want to know what this individual thinks. I'm, I'm asking for feedback, but aside from that, I don't care. Total mental performance. When I think generally, when when I'm being active when i'm being healthy like there's nothing that anyone else could do that would impact my life in any way shape or form in a negative way and i think for me that's what total mental performance is and i think the only way that you can achieve that is by looking at yourself first of all and making sure that how you're showing up for yourself is an 11 out of 10 how you're how you're managing your own habits is on point and i think when you do that well then there's nothing in the outside world that can impact your your state then you just generally you're going through life and you just realize that everything's okay and again i think that just comes down to perspective love it mate absolutely love it anyone that's listening to this where can they find you you can find me at m underscore j underscore lennon on instagram or eca underscore belfast on instagram or ECA underscore Belfast Gym on Instagram. So we got a lot of, a lot going on there. Yeah, probably Instagram is is the best place to connect with me. Uh, uh, thank you for having me on here, mate. Absolutely, mate. I've absolutely loved it. We'll stick all the links into into the description of this podcast. Uh, but mate, it's been an honor. Thank you ever so much. And uh, anybody that's listening, drop us some feedback, drop us some reviews, drop us some comments on the, on the post that will go out. And uh, yeah, mate, once again, thank you. So that's us for today, team. I want to say a huge thank you for spending this portion of your life listening to us. A couple of things before you disappear. If you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find all of our daily content on mindset and hitting peak performance at Total Mental Performance or our website, www.totalmentalperformance.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe or you'll find us on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts and all the other various different platforms. Big love. Thank you ever so much. And we're looking forward to speaking with you soon.